So it is uh, a pleasure and an honor to welcome Dr. Ari here tonight and also to welcome Krishna, who has worked with him for many, many years, and uh, Richard, who is on the board of uh, Sarvodia USA and doing very interesting Sarvodia projects within, um, uh, within our culture in the West. Um, and Ari has um, been on a tour in the West now for, I think, a couple of weeks um, and just lost his voice or most of it to laryngitis today. Um, so he'll talk a little bit and then Krishna, maybe he'll whisper in Krishna's ear, give him the secret whispered teachings and Krishna can translate some of this. Huh? Um, one of the things that is really important to understand when you come to a meditation center, a place like Spirit Rock or many of the other contemplative centers in the Buddhist world, is that in coming into meditation, as you come to sit and place your body here, halfway between heaven and earth, in this human incarnation, this remarkable incarnation that we have, um, that there are really two activities. Um, the first uh, well, in Zen they put it this way. Um, there are only two things. You sit and you sweep the garden. And it doesn't matter how big the garden is. So you come to stop the war, as my teacher Ajahn Chah used to say, to find a way to make peace in yourself with this human life and all of its complexity that we've been given. And then you get up from the meditation and you go out to sweep the garden and it happens that the garden is the garden of the world. Or another language to put it in, it is like breathing in and breathing out. In one breath we sit down and quiet the mind and open the heart. And then with that understanding and with that centeredness and with the quiet mind what comes is love. What comes is this deep connection with one another. You don't really meditate to get away from yourself. You meditate to get in touch with yourself, with, in touch with who you really are in the deeper sense. Um, and who you really are is a part of everything. So people will ask, is meditation passive? Um, and it's not passive at all. It's really no more passive than breathing. It is the, the step that allows us to re connect with our hearts and with our deepest wisdom and values and then to embody it in the world in which we have been born. Now many people say, well, how do I embody it? You know, even after I learn to quiet the mind, open the heart. And there are a whole series of Buddhist teachings of right speech and right action and right livelihood and kind of care for the world. Um, but it's particularly important. We can see it in the in the, the, these modern times where we get all this news and we hear about the conflicts and war and racism and continuing injustice um, and suffering, both within our own communities and worldwide. How do we do this? And one of the things that um, Dr. Ari Ratana has offered to the world through his work um, he's one of the co-founders of what is called engaged Buddhism, is the explicit and beautiful path of how to take deep spiritual practice and, and use it to touch the lives of everyone. 
Um, he is a, a Dharma visionary, and by visionary I mean someone who has a vision that he's carried now for these many years. And his vision in part is of the Buddhist teaching of Sangha and interdependence, that we can't practice for ourselves alone, that we're so truly one family, one breath, one earth, that we have to practice for one another, or it's not genuine awakening. And this is the Buddhist teaching of interdependence, which he has offered now. He began this work 50 years ago. Next year it's going to be 50 years. Um, as a high school teacher in one of the fancy high schools in the capital of Sri Lanka, teaching the children of the kind of government ministers and upper class, and brought some of the 16, 17-year-olds out into the poorest villages of Sri Lanka. Um, you'd think, of course, to help. That's what they thought. But actually it was to learn and to connect and to understand. And based on the remarkable connection that happened there, um, Sarvodia, this movement of people helping one another as a spiritual practice of interdependence, um, has grown now to spread to half of the villages in the entire country. Um, and uh, the principles of Sarvodia um, are first that it's truly democratic, that councils of people come together to make their own decisions. He speaks about it as community-based government governance, um, and that especially in this time it's really important that there be community-based governance because of these huge structures of large governments and nation-states and corporations. And although in the community Sarvodia teaches um, legal rights to people, more importantly, they teach moral self-governance. They teach people how to govern from that heartfelt wisdom within themselves for, for and with one another. When Sarvodia started to work in the villages of Sri Lanka and then in other um, countries, um, it started with the fundamental assumption of the faith in all people and in their goodness, that everyone has something to give. So that when people would come together to do this work of building a school or digging a well or building roads, and initially some of the richest people of the island came and saw this good work, or maybe their children were involved and said, oh, this is great, we would like to make merit in some way, we would like to offer the food for all these poor people who are coming together to work. <clears throat> and Ari said, no. He said, please come and offer your labor, your hands, and uh, we will ask the people to feed you. And then he went to the poorest villages and said, would you make a meal for these rich people who've come from the capital? Can you hear how important this understanding is? Because what it does is it sees the beauty and the, the capacity of every single person to offer something, to give something. And the basic principle called shramadana, dana means generosity or giving, is the giving of heartfelt care to one another in a deep way. So turning the, the problem of the unemployed, the unemployed teenagers, the people who don't have any work, into this incredible asset, which is people who want to help one another. And so they got people together to build roads, to build schools, to dig wells, to build clinics. As Ari says, not in order to build schools and build roads and dig wells and so forth, but in order to develop love and care between people. The roads and schools were simply the vehicle to teach people 
to respect and care for one another and to empower one another, to create communitas, the, the real sangha between human beings. And in the course of this, they have opened a thousand preschools, you know, a thousand prenatal centers, 5,000 community-owned credit banks for the people of the villages, um, one million people who are getting microcredit loans to develop their lives, um, things for teens, businesses, no sector of life from, from uh, cradle to grave, as Ari was saying. Um, our Sarvodi, we got you covered, basically, and maybe even next life possible, huh? <laughs> we were joking about that. Now, um, Sarvodia also has been a great respondent to the tremendous suffering in Sri Lanka, the tsunami of a couple of years ago that you all read about and know about. Um, uh, Sarvodia organization received um, an award from the United Nations for being the most effective um, most honest, the greatest integrity, and the most skilled at helping the tsunami victims all around the entire Indian Ocean. Um, they have 3,000 people who work for Saravodia who are paid, staff. Paid means $50 a month. Think about that. 3,000 people. And then 60,000 people who work half-time or more who are volunteers. So there's an enormous army of people who are helping one another. Um, and it's not run from the top, it's decentralized. The basic principle is the empowerment of each human being, seeing their beauty and their capacity to offer something to the community, whoever, whoever they are. Now, in the course of 50 years of this work, of carrying this lamp, as you might expect, Sarvodia has run into some resistance because, you know, nobody's making a lot of money on this. The people are building their own roads. The corporations, you know, are not building the roads that... And especially, you know, the kind of graft or corruption or things like that that can happen in a society. So at times, Ari's life has been threatened. And one story that I read long ago, um, you know, 30... 40 years ago, one of the notorious kind of underworld figures in Sri Lanka was, was hired to assassinate Ari in Colombia. And the, the, it was planned it was to be carried out at a Buddhist temple where Ari was speaking. And he heard about this, the plan, the evening before. And in the, late at night, in the dead of night, went to this man's house and stood in front of them, who was known as the king of the underworld, the king of the killers, and said, hey... I'm Ari Ratana, who you're planning to kill tomorrow. Rather surprised. Please do not desecrate this sacred Buddhist shrine of learning with the blood of a beggar like me. If you are to kill me, you must do it here. And so the killer looked back, and remember, he was a high school science teacher. Looked at him, and um, who was organizing the poor people in hundreds of villages, and said, um, I cannot do it. It's like, Gandhi, I can't do this. And they had a conversation, and a midnight guest, if you will, and from that point on, the underworld became some part of the great supporters of Sarvodia <laughs> in a remarkable way. Um, you know, 
Um, so it's not an easy thing. I mean, what, what we're talking about is something also that's terribly difficult um, for political reasons, for economic reasons, and maybe because people have lost spirit or lost hope, what it means, what's really possible. Um, in the teachings, and Sarvodya has a whole set of principles of teachings based on the spiritual teachings of Buddhism. This is um, the Four Noble Truths for the Awakening and Empowerment of Human Beings in a Village. And the first noble truth of Buddhist teachings is that they're suffering. And the village of suffering has poverty leading to conflict and harsh speech and oppression and disease and stagnation. And then the second noble truth is that it has a cause, which is ignorance and fear and possessiveness, all these things, competition, ill will, disunity between people. And the third is that there's hope, that there's a liberation that can come through cooperation, sharing, constructive activity, education, pleasant speech, love, selflessness toward one another. And finally, there's a path to do it through spiritual development, cultural development, economic development, all ways of empowering and educating one another, organizational development. So he takes the fundamental principles of the Buddhist teaching um, and has applied them in this beautiful, simple language to empower the people of Sri Lanka. Um, I'm going to tell one more story, um, if I have the story right. I've got a couple more stories to tell, actually. Um, But... uh, there is and has been an ongoing for all, all around 20 years a terrible civil war in Sri Lanka um, between different parts of the island, people who speak different languages and so forth. And Ari's family took in, um, in the southern part of the island, took in a Tamil family from the north um, and was threatened because of this. You know, you're not supposed to take these people who are considered the enemy in. And at least as I heard the story, um, one day there was a great ruckus maybe because there had been one of the bombings or killings and so forth, and people want revenge. And so they'd heard, oh, there's a Tamil family staying over there in Ari's house. And they went to go and try and drag this family out and beat them or kill them. And nobody's, nobody was home um, but Ari's uh, teenage daughter, 16, 17 years old. Is that right? Nine years old. Nine years old. And so she opened the door and saw this crowd of people who wanted to drag the family out and said, um, you cannot come in. She'd already been taught. And they said they were going to come in. And then and, and she said, well, if my father would, were here, he would say that you would have to kill me first before you can touch these people. But he's not here. <laughs> And if my mother were here, she would say, you have to kill me first before you can touch these people who are, whose lives we are treasuring and guarding. But she's not here either. And my older siblings, if they were here, they would say the same thing. But there's no one here but me. So I have to say this to you, that if you would come in to touch them first, you have to kill me. And uh, stop them in their tracks. You know, to have that kind of consciousness, that kind of care um, from a young person. And yet I know working as I have, for example, with young people 
in street gangs coming out on retreats and so forth, that they're really looking for something noble to do, that our young people actually have. If you give them a chance, they would give their life for something that was noble in many cases. And so there's a kind of nobility that Ari's work has invited for many, many, many people. And in fact, he recently had a gathering at Anuradhapura, which is the great ancient sacred temple of Sri Lanka, a meditation for peace, trying to get Sarvodhi to help with the peace process. And there were 850,000 people who came and did, in a country that's not that big, 850,000 people, and did a day primarily of metta, of loving-kindness practice. And Ari was telling us this afternoon that this sea of people, if you can imagine it, was silent. You know, just doing loving-kindness practice. So um, when uh, the Norwegians helped to broker a peace treaty uh, in the Sri Lankan Civil War about four or five years ago that's now falling apart somewhat, um, in order to support this peace treaty, and I've told this story before, um, Ari called the followers of Sarvodia together to try to help um, offer support for the peace. Um, and again, there was a huge gathering at Anuradhapura, 650,000 people. And when he stood up to speak with them, after some meditation and some ways, again, of helping people to quiet themselves so they could listen from their hearts rather than their heads, he offered what was called the Sarvodia 500-year peace plan. And he said this, He said that in the teachings of the Buddha, um, all things arise according to causes or conditions. And that the foolish people, it says in the Buddhist text, look at the results, but the wise look at the causes. How did we get here? So he said, if we look at the conflict of our civil war in Sri Lanka, it has taken us 500 years to come to this level of conflict. Uh, 400 years of colonial oppression from the British, 500 years of conflict between the Hindus and the Muslims and the Buddhists, 200 years of economic disparity between the rich and the poor parts of the island. And so it will take us 500 years to get out of this. Um, And then he proposed the peace plan. He said five years of something like this, five years of a um, ceasefire, 10 years of rebuilding roads and schools, 25 years of learning one another's languages and religions, 50 years of writing the economic injustice and disparity. And after 100 years, we'll have a council and see if we're doing well or not and look at it and we'll start again. And we'll do that for the next 400 years that follow it. And after 500 years, I think we can make this really the, the, the pearl of the Indian Ocean that Sri Lanka has always been considered itself. And I heard this, and I was so moved because it was the teachings of an elder. That is somebody who's not worried about the next election cycle, who's not worried even about what will happen in their lifetime, but uh, someone who carries the flame or the lamp or the heart or the medicine or the vision for a people for uh, generations, for half a millennia. As, uh, as Thomas Merton says this, this really wonderful advice that he gave to an activist. He said, Do not depend on the hope of results. You may have to face the fact 
that your work will be apparently worthless at times and achieve no result at all, if not perhaps bring about its opposite. As you get used to this idea, you start more and more to concentrate not on the results, but on the value, the rightness, and the truth of the work itself. And there's some way in which the carrying of the the lamp of integrity and our our true communitas, our our true family that we are. And Mother Teresa, I think, said, the, the problem is that you draw your family circle too small the real family that we are, is, is what's allowed Sarvodhya to grow and empower people in every part of the country in really, really remarkable ways. So um, I'm sorry for taking as much time to speak tonight. I know you want to hear from Ari, or at least I do, but also because he has laryngitis. <laughs> you know, this is a way of, way of supporting and also inviting you to understand the work that's been done. So perhaps you'll say a few things and you can whisper to Krishna and Richard can add and we'll go back and forth, whatever you like. Thank you very much, Jack. Yesterday I lost my voice completely because the organizers made me to speak minimum six hours every day. Anyway, I am my friend here mm-hmm. who have been following me all over the country and all over the world, uh, listening to what I, I used to say, he will continue after me. I will make a very brief comment. I think we as ordinary human beings uh, have waited for too long to take to our hands certain things like the survival of this planet, peace in our society, ending hunger, in the world, ending poverty and making powerlessness a thing of the past for people who are suffering and take to our hands the present and the future of our societies without allowing generals and military and political leaders to decide our future. For the last 50 years, Sarude have been struggling to bring home this message to people. So several million people in over 15,000 communities have taken upon the responsibility of building a new human personality as individuals based on the four principles 
Buddha taught us loving kindness, compassionate action, altruistic joy and equanimity. And to build families where there is sharing, pleasant language, constructive activity, and qualitative equality in, in association. These eight principles, if we can develop at the individual and family level, we can build communities who can make a beginning to satisfy their basic human needs need for a clean and beautiful environment, need for simple clothing, need for clean and adequate supply of water, need for balanced diet, need for a house to live, for health care, energy requirements, communication, education, spiritual and cultural needs. These ten basic needs cover everything that human being or a human family or a human community needs to live a decent life. Without these basic needs, it is not possible to build a culture of peace. When we went on these slides, we realized that while we are working with these lofty ideals, there are others who are led by greed and also ill will, which always accompanies greed, and who are not that enlightened about what this life is, or those who are steeped in ignorance. They were following another kind of life patterns where even the life support systems in our society, in the world, are endangered. Every day, some species of animals are getting lost forever to our world. Buddha talked about five cosmic laws more than me, my teacher, I consider him my teacher because I don't have time as he has to completely concentrate on Dhamma and study in deep. He will later explain to you these five cosmic laws. I will only mention cosmic law pertaining to genetic systems or genes. Bijaniyam, cosmic law pertaining to the 
seasons utuniyavaru cosmic laws pertain into cause and effect kamaniyam cosmic law pertains in the mind kitaniyam and the cosmic law pertains into phenomena dhammaniyam in the name of development in the name of progress or in the name of industrialization now in the name of globalization we have violated and we are violating these cosmic laws so much so tsunamis earthquakes katrinas what happened here landslides floods in one part of the world droughts and forest fire in the other parts of the world so the entire nature has been affected because we have violated these fundamental laws therefore it is time that we as ordinary human beings take notice of these realities and open our own eyes and do whatever we can within the little space we have been left by the rulers politicians and the economic economists that is the kind of thing that we in sarude have been attempting all these years i never thought of appealing to anybody for help when we were working when some people saw us working very hard physically and opening up of a road to a village that needed the road very much or we dug a 3 mile long irrigation canal to provide water to rice fields so that the farmers could cultivate this and similar activities will to do people people with a heart to share they came and helped us so 50 years we did billions and billions of rupees worth of constructive work while the spiritual change we brought about in the society cannot be estimated but 10 months ago i had to go undergo open heart surgery <laughs> so that day when i was taken to the operating theater I was not afraid to die because I had done so much of good 
I could see my next life very clearly. <laughs> because at that time, I was doing research with a very famous sociologist, Professor Nandasen Ratnapal. I will send a couple of last books he has written to you. It may be useful in. That is about the next birth. With some researchers, he started studying some very famous people, very rich people, and tried to find out what happened to them after they died. Of course, with the names changed, <laughs> without, the, without the real names. Fortunately, before he died, he published two books, and both of them were translated by himself into English. But on August 7th, when I was going to Japan, he called me and said, I'm impatient. Will you come to divulge certain other things I have discovered? I want your advice as to how we can tell the world without the reader suspecting that he is referring to that man or that woman. And those who read the book <coughs> were amazed how they died. So, okay. How some of those? There was a butcher who used to kill animals. One day a little calf was not easily surrendering to him. He took the, this calf and just along to Madhya on a pointed iron rod. Fixed to the ground, he put this animal. That's how he killed this animal. This will have died exactly on that. So that kind of ditra dhamma vedaniya karma, what happens in this life itself, as a result of our evil actions, he got stories written, having researched for long years about those people. So I had therefore no fear of dying, yeah. because I knew very well that the next life is very well set for me. <laughs> but then I was thinking, <laughs> for 50 years I have built it, There are several million people depending on this. There are 15,000 village communities who are trying to build a new life. They need some resources. There are 355 centers coordinating and helping these village communities. There are 34 district levels centers, quite big centers. 
which bring all these people together and like you are meeting like this they meet very often discuss how to take the next steps then 12 development education institutes we are trying to combine spiritual moral and cultural content the social economic and political development so that we can spiritualize economics and politics as well then our headquarters then about 3000 people who are working full time all over the country then over a thousand children with no parents who are being looked after by us in our homes <coughs> sexually abused young girls below 18 years of age who have nowhere to go for whom government has no programs we have started it then homes of the elderly people and all these things are run on a participatory basis all these things are run with a spiritual foundation in the elders homes we not only look after them take care of them we teach them how to die you know most people only learn how to live they don't learn how to die it's very essential that we know what happens during the process of breathing our last we should be able to realize oh the hardness solidity in my body these 20 parts which are solid they are not functional now i can't move them rather than feel very sad and painful about it understand it this is reality 12 systems that worked with water liquidity no longer it's working it's painful very difficult but understand it i similarly understand when yeah the system and the lungs and all that lungs do fail similarly the heat in the body when it finally goes then what happens what happens that which made us think we live that name and form now the form has gone now the mind remains what happens to it so it's very important that from the young age we teach everybody this process and in our elders homes especially we try to teach them and make them learn meditation on dying so that you can die with understanding happily so i was thinking now this massive organization 
which is second to the government, which does not react, we only respond. We never react when anybody tries to do any harm to us. We exercise extreme patience. Patience is one of the qualities of a bodhisattva, kanti. Whenever we are insulted, also we develop upekha, equanimity, not to take offense. In that way, the ten paramitas or ten perfections that a bodhisattva should practice, we are trying to practice in our own humble way. While we do this, Millions and millions of rupees are pumped into the armed arms industry, both to the government as well as to the other side who are fighting against the government. Similarly, a lot of money is brought into the country as loans and grants for macro projects so that lot of corruption, lot of misuse, waste can take place. But a movement like ours cannot exist day to day. So I told my people, I said, if I survive this operation, I will try to help to build an endowment for Saru there so that it can survive another 50 years. If I fail, and if I die from the other world, I'll try to help you. <laughs> so when Mr. Shishir Kanal, who is somewhere here, our Sarvode executive, young, vibrant, where is he? Uh, he's there in the back. Uh, he said, please come. United States uh, and give the message. I'll follow up and try to see whether we can do something. And then Richard Flyer and other board members also invited me to come. So I'm here and first time in my life I have gone round to say please help has to help not only Sri Lanka, but the world. Mm -hmm. Because lots of young people, both from African and Asian countries, they write, they want to come and learn what we are. We are not perfect, but we are on the right path. Mm -hmm. We have shown that teachings of the Buddha, in the same way teachings of other leaders, religious leaders can be practiced in the 21st century. And this practice can remove both economic and political injustices. It can remove the state of powerlessness and poverty in which people live. It can protect the human rights of people because this movement is promoting uh, 
communication technology also. On one hand meditation, on the other hand communication. So that it will be very difficult for anybody to oppress people when you have the internet with you, when you have a camera with you, at the disposal of the community immediately, the whole world can be told here, there is oppression here. Now Burma, look at the terrible thing happening in Burma. What are we doing? We try to protest, but if there is a built-in mechanism, Gandhi called it Satyagraha. Gandhi didn't want the present system of governance. He said, convert India into a commonwealth of village republics. India failed to do it, that's why. World is also suffering. Gandhi showed a way. When government does not behave the right way, he showed a non-violent way called Satyagraha. Satyagraha means holding fast to truth. Hundred years ago, hundred and one years ago, last year I had to go to South Africa, to the place where he started Satyagraha, to receive the Satyagraha award. So, we as ordinary human beings can do a lot. And I'm ever grateful to you, all of you, your center, your leader, for helping us in tsunami and continuously helping us to realize our objective. So I'm happy I'm invited and asked to come here. I believe you have heard what I said. If not, listen to these two gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Ari. Thank you. Amazing to say we're not perfect, but we're on the right path. You know, and that young people from Asia and Africa, people from all over really coming to try to learn the empowerment principles and and use them in their own countries, in their own communities. So, Krishna, um, I, you know, if you want to add some things, I know after the tsunami there was such devastation and one thing you were telling me about is that the government made a law and this is how government works, made a, made a helpful law in a certain way that people couldn't rebuild their houses too close to the ocean. But they didn't make the second part, it's like the government that doesn't fund things, they didn't make the second part of the law giving land for them to move to. So people ended up being refugees and so forth. And then finally they gave Sarvodia some land way inland, as I understand, that was not very good land, you know how that works. Um, but they took it anyway, and you know, to, to make a model, really, to make a model village. And for the cost of one <coughs> part of a house in Marin, depending which community you live in, they build an entire village for hundreds of people with beautiful homes <laughs> and so forth, for less than the cost of a house in Marin. Um, and um, what are the principles of that village, or what else, you know, add? I'm, I'm just starting. Namaskar. You have to push the little button on, uh, on uh, that end. Can you push hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, um, to begin with, all of us at Sarvode are performing a Bodhisattva vow. So those who are performing Bodhisattva vows have very little time to concentrate learning languages. <laughs> so I ask forgiveness for my little knowledge of English. Um, 
when tsunami occurred sarvodaya volunteers rushed to villages even before government thought of going and helping people because we had 50 years of infrastructure of working tirelessly when the need arises so when government made laws after laws after laws and suppressed people to the maximum we launched a campaign called 5R which includes relief rehabilitation reconstruction reconciliation and finally reawakening so we did not wait until the government gave us land or until government asked us to do this do that so we immediately started building communities started talking to people uh, spiritual healing process took place and uh, immediate relief uh, work took place and then uh, finally we bought land uh, and also government also gave us land i must say with the help from the citizens of united states of america we were able to build this beautiful eco village called damniamgama um it this village has 53 houses beauty of this village is that people living in this villages are not from one village or one community they are from various different community belonging to various different religious and ethnic backgrounds they were all brought here to this barren land and uh, they were asked to build their own house community built the, their own house their own village and from the beginning we stick to the principles of building a eco friendly village when we say eco friendly it's a 100% eco friendly village we didn't cut a single tree in that land <coughs> and we did not uh, purchase non eco friendly building materials even of course the necessary most necessary things we had to buy but otherwise we made sure that we are all buying eco friendly building material so people build their own houses today 53 families live hundreds of people live there um and they all have their own home garden uh, very few vegetables are bought outside uh, from the market and we have the recycling process which is led by the youth in the village and we have um beautiful uh, center uh, spiritual uh, community center which has um a place for spiritual practices uh, religious practices a tele center where uh, youth women children uh, elderly everyone goes and learn uh, to um, learn internet uh, facilities and the computer skills and we have a medical center which is also run by voluntary uh, youth group and we have a bank we have a preschool and we have a, a recycling uh, plant so this is only one village eco village uh, in the south and recently we were able to f- uh, build three more Uh, such communities 
uh, altogether 1,200 houses. We are yet to build the eco uh, communities there, but the uh, villages are there. Uh, Sinhala, Tamil and Muslim people, all communities, all ethnicities live peacefully. Mind you, this is in the war zone uh, in the eastern part of the country. So uh, this particular eco-village I am talking of, you can be very proud of because uh, the, the, your contribution also has gone into building this beautiful, simple eco-village for people. And the, uh, uh, thank you so much. And the, you were talking about another program in which the country is, the war in the country is divided north and south, in which you were getting families from the south and families from the north. Was it something like a million yes. families? Is that right? Um, this particular program is titled Village to Village, Heart to Heart. We have linked 1,000 villages in the south with 1,000 villages in the north and east where this 30-year-old civil unrest uh, is taking place. And uh, what we do is, villages in the south collect everything possible, everything that they can think of, gifts, food items, uh, books, uh, anything under the sun. And then they, the whole village, they go to their sister village in the north or east, they live in that village uh, five days and they get involved in constructive activities. For example, Shramadana, gift of labor. Sometimes they dig a well or they cut a road or they dig an um, irrigation canal uh, three miles long. Like that, constructive activities. Then they get involved in the spiritual and cultural activities, sometimes cookery demonstration, language programs. Mind you, in our country, there are two main languages, that is Sinhala, uh, the most common language, and Tamil. And people in these two parts of the country don't speak each other's language, not necessarily. Uh, so when southerners go to the eastern part of the country, they don't know Tamil. So the only language we speak is the language of loving-kindness. Um, and then... Five days after they come back to their village, two weeks after, this eastern or the northern village community comes to their sister village in the south. Southerners being a bit more affluent and uh, they keep these families in their houses. They host them in their own houses. So sometimes when a Tamil mother walks into a Singhala house, she sees a photograph of a soldier in full uniform. She gets scared, sometimes started shivering, sometimes started crying, sometimes want to escape from that house. Then that, that mother asks, why? No, no, I see a photograph of a soldier. Will they come here? Will they harass us? Will they kill us? Then the mother in the south, the house owner says, no. That's my son. He's been killed by the Tamil terrorist. Then the mother from the east or the south, uh, north start crying. My son was also killed by the government forces. So this is the first time these mothers get together and share their opinions. 
most of the time because of the language problem they exchange all these views through sign language or just hugging or just just uh, you know through their eyes through their heart through the vibrations so this program had been going on for the last 7 uh, 5 years and also we have youth program sometimes only youth come to come from these parts of the country to the south and they live with uh, southern uh, youth groups and so these youth groups of course stay for a longer period ranging from one week to three months so this program village to village heart to heart we believe is the only way to resolve uh, this problem of different differences in our country and we believe this is a spiritual um, solution and only through a spiritual solution only through a community participation we can come to a conclusion we can end this bloody war of 30 years you can hear how in everything that you've talked about krishna and ari there is this thread of the deep spiritual understanding you know yes there's reconstruction and relief but with it we also have reconciliation and we have reawakening of our connection with one another and who we are and somehow they have to be woven together as you say for for the genuine transformation of individual and of the of the village and of the society um naturally one can hear the echoes um and what would be important within our own society and with the conflicts that we have here on this land and the conflicts also that we're engaged in in um all the other parts of the world and what this would mean um and uh richard you you richard ran the community food bank in in uh in um San Diego for some years and now he lives up in Reno um and has been involved in an experiment of trying to get use Sarvodia principles to work in a western city of a couple hundred thousand people and you know even in a few words maybe you, you might say what things you found that works because this all i mean this is immensely inspiring in in and what you're saying Ari and and Krishna and, and really important to us and at the same time there's some kinds of cultural translations that we have to make to figure out for this culture and this place how this might happen because there's so much um isolation and loneliness in parts of our society that are um suffering in ways cut off i mean we're cut off from one another in so many ways so anyway say a few things if you will it will Krishna so he he's going to use the the okay. other one he's going to use the, the clip on go ahead Let's see I'll just hold it like this um um thanks for having me I'm from Reno I'm actually I'm a I'm a businessman I have a medical clinic and also on the board of Sarvodia USA and I learned about Sarvodia in the mid 80s and like many of you you know witness kind of like a cultural meltdown i mean i maybe this was 20 years ago and as i was listening to ari talk about the money that's going to um 
to arm the government and then arm the uh, the uh, Tamil that are fighting against the government. I was thinking about all the billions of dollars going into this political campaign right now with the Democrats and Republicans and how that's creating such a division as well, where we look to outside forces like our government and we hope, and I've been looking at this now for 30 years, we just hold out a hope that something's going to change. And what I've learned from Sarvodi is that it really begins within and in within our communities. And as I was listening to Krishna talk about uh, the Village to Village and the Heart to Heart program, I think in our own community, in Reno, I can speak to that, like probably most cities in America, we are divided into sub-communities based on religious, um, political, and special interests. And it, and it keeps us from seeing each other heart to heart. We see each other through our beliefs. And leaders tend to exploit that, or we allow them to do that. And it creates a situation where we're, we are governable. We are easy to govern. And then if you add to that, the instead of looking at our communities and say, well, how is it you know, they're, they're dealing with such poverty there? Well, we have poverty, but we have a lot of spiritual poverty within all of us. And in communities, and it's a divisive, uh, kind of a corrosive force. So what we've done in Reno in the last four years in applying some of the principles that Dr. Ari taught me is to really try to connect heart to heart. And we've, we've done some practical things community-wide. And one, I'll just share one experience. In the last couple of years, we have one of this community-wide program where we encourage massive simultaneous uh, gatherings on streets throughout Reno. So in June, we had about 100 separate, I guess you could call them potluck gatherings or block parties. And what was really amazing about this is that our intention is not only social, it's actually spiritual, in that we encourage people to consider being of service to their neighbor directly. So within families and then on streets. So as people organized these efforts, kind of like a mini Shramadana, they identified invisible, marginalized people. So in Reno, we don't really have like a like a ghetto area where there's like thousands of, of uh, poor people, but they're scattered within every street. And even, even here, even in, in any community, even a wealthy community, on any street, there are people that are hurting. And, and that could, you could reach out to. So it's not about necessarily um, looking at it in a traditional way to volunteer, say, at a homeless shelter or, or donate to a cause, which is valuable and good. You could actually be of service embedded in your life daily, in your home and right on your street. There were so many stories that came as a result of that. In, in Washoe County, the county I'm a part of, there are about 10,000 seniors that are alone that don't get access to government services or social services. So we've actually mobilized these hundred streets to have leaders, and these leaders, many of them, look at it as a way to witness to a higher spiritual consciousness through service. So the act of, of getting a gathering is like a kickoff to an ongoing effort to uplift the entire consciousness of our region so it's distributed throughout our city. And after a number of years, the government began to get interested in what we're doing, but we didn't approach them. Like, we didn't go, oh, we need to get the city council and the mayor. And So in a similar way to, to Ari's work, 
it's not that government's not important. It is, but they can't drive this process. And we have to somehow get out of our mental slavery in thinking that they are the solution. The government, it is, obviously it is us, but it's also a system that we've created that is separate from us. So paradoxically, if we want to make social and economic and political change in our country, we have to get back to basics and the simplicity of connecting with neighbor, connecting with others that are very different than us, and reaching out. And in that process, it, it really caused me to, to grow dramatically, because I know the need is important. So the, the process of reaching out to somebody who's different, or bringing together, say, evangelical Christians and Buddhists and pagans and liberals and conservatives, which we are doing, in this action of movement, not in some type of dialogue where we bring people together and let's talk about this. No, this is in the movement process, and that's what Ari taught me, which is find something you can do in common like that and focus on that. Then you can bring together people that you never thought could, could, this could occur. And it's really amazing to see how people's hearts are opening, even in the midst of such division in our country and and it's kind of a a decaying time but we could be a source of light and this is our our approach so that's just one of many many activities that we we do that represents this principles i learned and one is you know grassroots and the other is to tie spiritual awakening of the self with community awakening so it's not about anymore this is what i learned from ari it's not a we don't just become peaceful for ourselves or we just don't focus on our individual enlightenment for ourselves. There's something bigger. It's important we need to focus on ourselves, but we focus on ourselves so it can be a service to others. So enlightenment and awakening is not an individual, only a process, community. So that's something I've learned from my, my brother, Ari, and it, it works here. And the last thing I'd like to say is that while it may seem that there's such a difference between a village in Sri Lanka or the city of Reno or San Francisco. We are all part of an embedded global economic system now that makes all communities, villages, towns, and cities, no matter where they are, dependent on it and not dependent on each other. This process keeps growing and growing, in a sense, out of our control. So what's happening throughout the whole world are movements of millions of organizations and people at the grassroots. Um, and we're struggling for a way to create a common vision that could cross these bridges and barriers that we have between different groups. So <clears throat> you'll notice something is really unique when, when you see people of really diverse types of, of thoughts and beliefs working together. Then, then you will know that we're onto something. If it's just, you know, like, you know, just say either just liberal folks or conservative folks or it's one group or another, then that's the old way. So the task at hand is to reach out. And the only way to do that that I've discovered, like Ari, is to open your heart and see somebody who's different from you, maybe intellectually or in belief-wise. See their intention and, and cultivate that together as we build this new world together, Mm. right where we are. 
Thank you. Thank you. So it's just about time to end. I want to end with a very brief meditation. Um, and I want you also, I will say this before the meditation, as, as Ari said, you know, they've done this work for 50 years and he's never asked for help. Um, so tonight, as I said, whatever money we've already collected, and more than that, whatever you can offer as you go, um, and you can write a check to either Spirit Rock and then we'll pass it on to them. That's probably the easiest if you can't spell Sarvodia or Sarvodia USA as you like. Um, but whatever, $50 pays a person's salary for a month. $500 pays for somebody for an entire year to be of service in a village or in a community or in a preschool or something. It's really kind of amazing. Um, and the meditation I'd like to do is um, I'd like you to keep your eyes open for this as a metta. Um, and first of all, just cultivating the quality of loving kindness and compassion for everybody's struggles that we all go through and the good heart underneath. Let yourself look around and see the people around you and feel that tonight in some way perhaps that loving kindness was touched in you and one another. Um, and just the, the goodwill when the mind gets quiet and the heart opens that is our humanity. And this quality then of loving kindness um, I'd like you to offer your, your prayers of love and compassion and support to Ari and Krishna and Richard and all the people that they represent so that they can get your blessings and your support and your love. And then I'll ask Ari to open his eyes, and he's been meditating, um, and Krishna and so forth, and to offer to you his compassion and his love you know, and Krishna and the rest of them. So we exchange this for a couple of, oh, a little, some breaths of really looking at one another and offering prayers. And may you be safe and well, held in great loving kindness. May you offer your best to the world, each of you. Bring your good heart to this world. And then to end with a simple chant, in India the greeting is namaste and the root of the word is namo, which means to honor or bow to. Let's chant the word namo just three times. And as you do, you can bow to your own good heart and to perhaps what you've heard this evening that's beautiful and to this world that we're a part of or anything else you feel inwardly that you wish to bow to. Namo 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 Thank you for your metta, your kind attention, your generosity. Thank you, Ari, Krishna, Richard.
all the millions of Sarbodia people who are here with you in spirit. Um, blessings, and I'll see you next week, and we'll continue. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.